people there and I said I didn't even know there was a high tech in Atlanta right what a way to endear the audience to you but it was just amazing kind of event so and you know as I come here this morning just to tell you a little bit more about myself and uh, you know I have what I call the Cinderella career originally born and raised in uh, Pennsylvania you get to the next slide here oh back up one yeah all right getting too fast. I was uh, originally uh, born and raised in Pennsylvania, the farm country uh, there, uh, was uh, part of the Pennsylvania Dutch. And if you're familiar with that, uh, we have the ultra-conservative Amish, right, the really conservative Mennonites, and then we're the liberals, the Pennsylvania Dutch, right, in comparison, which is still like super, super conservative, but compared to the Amish, right, born and raised a farm uh, boy, uh, my dad was uh, of 10 uh, brothers and sisters, uh, grandpa helped number, son number one buy a farm, son number two got down to my dad at number nine, we have enough farms, just work with your brothers, and had dad had a farm, I'd be a farm boy in Pennsylvania today. And since he never had his own farm, you know, sort of like, what am I going to do? At 16 years old, I accidentally took a scholarship exam to go to Lincoln Tech. So I go there at 16 years old uh, and uh, graduate. So skipped my last year and a half of high school, graduated the same year of high school and from Lincoln Tech, and Intel comes recruiting. So here I am, 18 years old, I've never been on an airplane, and Intel invites me to California. Took me like six nanoseconds to say yes. You know, first plane trip, free weekend in California, yeah, baby, right? But I promised my mom when I left, no way am I moving to California. I mean, they're like nuts out there, right? You know, sorry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, they're going to fall in the ocean, colts, all this kind of stuff. And uh, Intel offered me a job that I could work and go to school. I went to Santa Clara for my undergraduate, Stanford for my graduate uh, work. So literally at 18 years old, I'm working at Intel, working on bachelor's, master's, you know, PhD uh, work there. I mean, just a Cinderella career. I uh, worked on the 286. The th any of you remember what the 286 is? Yeah, a few of you do. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I was the original architect of the 486, uh, worked on over 35 years of microprocessors. So if you've used the microprocessor, any of you do that? You know, 99.9% .9 chance I worked on it, right? And uh, helped to create USB, helped to create Wi-Fi. And I'll just say, a Cinderella career, became the first ever CTO for uh, Intel, became sort of like number two, number three at the company uh, after a short 30-year career there. Uh, and uh, I came to EMC, right, moved from the, uh, the Bay Area to Oregon and Oregon to EMC and Boston. My parents were so excited, the black sheep is coming home, right? And I headed back east and worked there as a president and COO for three years and then took the job at e uh, VMware to become the CEO. And uh, so about five years ago, did that, moved back to the Bay Area. We'll come back to that a little bit uh, uh, later. But really the Cinderella career, farm boy from Pennsylvania, right? Remember, and 
have this opportunity now to be the CEO of a great software company. And as I say here, my vision is that I'll work on a piece of technology that will touch every human on the planet and every modality of life. What do you think? Is that an audacious vision? Pretty big. So. And you know, now there's about uh, seven and a half billion people on the planet. Uh, almost half of them have a persistent connection to the internet. So I'll say we're almost halfway there. Now, you know, VMware, you know, we happen to be this little software company, did this magic piece of software called virtualization that sort of turns hardware uh, into software. Ten servers become one, just magic. If you don't use us, you fail the intelligence test. <laughs> right? Why wouldn't you? I mean, you know, you know, months become minutes and you know, uh, you know, dollars become pennies. I mean, it's just a magic piece of software. We've burst onto the scene. We're now the fifth largest software company uh, in the world. You know, if you use any website, chances are we're underneath it. We're part of that uh, offering uh, and part of it. One of uh, recognized in many of the different uh, uh, fortune, best places to work uh, uh, lists that are available uh, today. As I describe it, I'm the senior pastor of the Church of VMware and I have 22 2,000 congregants. <laughs> I said that to uh, John Orkberg, a well-known uh, minister in the Presbyterian faith. He was sitting in the front row, and John shouts out when I said that. He said, if I paid my congregants as much as you do too, I'd have more showing up. <laughs> so my, my church, my group, 22,000 people, and as business leaders, I'll simply assert that the most important thing you do is the values of the organization. You know, we call ourselves an epic company. Execution, passion, integrity, customer, and community. We have epic people. We have epic products. We have epic customers. I mean, it just works for us. And if you're a leader, and every one of you are a leader in the community that you're in, the values that you exude, that you create. And, you know, VMware is a very secular company, but when I'm speaking about the values of VMware, it's like I'm giving a sermon and I just don't use scripture references, right? And that's your opportunity as a leader. And just two quick stories. Um, one of them, we're having, you know, Sales Club. And for any of you in enterprise software, you know, Sales Club is like a big frickin' party. Right, you know, you take your top salespeople, you motivate them, right? And it's like that competition thing, right? If you don't go to club, you ain't nothing, baby, right? You know, so you're always fighting to be one of those people getting to club. So we take them to some, you know, wonderful, lavish uh, place and we party uh, with them to celebrate uh, them being one of our top salespeople. We took them to Kauai a couple of years ago. And when we're there for the most lavish party of the year, we go to a service event and we rebuilt the Boys and Girls Club of Kauai. And, and, uh, you know, as we're and, you know, as one of our sales guys is leaving the event, he gets in the cab, cab driver takes him to the airport, and he goes to pay the taxi driver, and the taxi driver refuses to fare. And he says, my grandkids go to the Boys and Girls Club that you built. Others come to Kauai to take, you came to give. That's the company I want to be part of. The other story is the Great Wall of China. We took our sales last year, sales club, to Beijing. 
Again, biggest party of the year. We had our Finnish celebration in the People's Hall, right? Where, you know, Mao and Nixon men. I mean, you know, it was just like this great place. And then we took them to the Great Wall of China, and we rebuilt a section of the Great Wall of China. And that's the monument stone sitting in front of it. How many people got to build part of the Great Wall of China? We did. When I see my Chinese customers, I put that picture of that stone up, and I says, we're going to be here the next thousand years. We're committed to China, right? The values that you build is the most important thing that you will do as a leader. So that's a little bit about Pat Gelsinger, the business guy. Let me tell you a little bit about Pat Gelsinger, the Christian. You know, born and raised in Pennsylvania, and he went to church on Sunday. Two good reasons to go to church. One is, you know, if, dad, if I didn't go, Dad would whoop me. So I went, right? You know, it's pretty simple. The other reason is to meet girls and impress the mothers and the grandmothers of the girls I liked. So isn't that two good reasons to go to church? And uh, so born and raised there, uh, and, uh, you know, thought I was a Christian. Uh, at the t and, uh, you know, you're born and raised in the church. Of course you're a Christian. I was baptized when I was six days old with full knowledge of what I was doing. I, uh, you know, was president of the youth group, and I was rotten six and a half days of the week. You know, you're typical. Anyway, so, and uh, moved to California. You know, what did I do the first Sunday? Went to church. Right? You know, because, you know, I might meet a girl. Sure enough, I met Linda, right? It sort of worked. Uh, and, uh, you know, and uh, a couple of months later, the sermon topic is Revelation 3, 15, and 16. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you're neither cold nor hot but lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And that Sunday of February 1980, I became hot for God. And many of you here today might be here because, hey, somebody else invited you. Somebody thought it was a cool idea to join. This is a great event, right? You know, think, you know almost 1,000 people here. Isn't this a great event? You know, congratulations to the team for making this happen. I mean, you know, this really is fabulous. But if you're lukewarm like I was, God wants to spit you out of his mouth. He wants you either cold or hot for the kingdom. And don't leave here today without knowing that most important decision that you will make for your life, being hot for the kingdom of God. So I made the decision that day to become hot for the Lord Jesus Christ and to begin living a Christian life of merit, of significance. Now, how many of you know that Christian CEOs in Silicon Valley are a rare breed? <laughs> yeah, and being visible Christian for it. And my wife and I, you know, we're out there. You know, we are very visible for our faith. We're philanthropic uh, to a great degree. I love to embarrass my rich CEO and other Bay Area friends. Uh, the picture, if you bring the slide back up for a second, just a couple of these. You know, we helped to start an organization called Stadia. You know, we're going to plant 150 churches in North and South America uh, this year. You know, William Jessup University, you know, it's a, a Christian university in the capital region, almost 2,000 people. The picture of the, uh, uh, that's an African slum. We have 15,000 kids are now in the schools that we helped to start in the slums of Africa. And as I said, our mission statement, my mission statement was that I'd work on a piece of technology to touch every human on the planet. My Christian mission statement is that I'll work on a piece of technology to touch every human on the planet to hasten the day of Christ's return, that everybody 
might come to know the name of Jesus Christ, and we embrace technology as part of the way to go do that. So that's Pat Gelsinger, the Christian. Now, this idea of the juggling act. Now, after Linda and I met, uh, we, uh, uh, she invited me to Christmas dinner, and it was Linda, her mom, and her grandma. You know, so three generations of good cooks, right? I'm a single 18-year-old boy in California with no place to go, no money, no vacation, so on like that. So what do you think I said? Yeah, I'll come to dinner, right? No problem at all. So we go to dinner, and uh, at the end of dinner, Grandma looks to my, looks to Linda as I'm leaving. She closes the door, and Grandma looks at Linda and says, "He's the one." First time we had ever met, right? And you know, Linda and Grandma they had a very close relationship, and most of you have you know like a narrow band connection to God. Grandma was a high bandwidth, broadband connection to God. And so when she said he's the one, Linda got really worried, right? <laughs> that boy, you know, why? You know, so on. So we started dating, but I was in the slow boat to matrimony. I was going to finish my bachelor's, finish my master's, finish my PhD, probably do postdoc work before starting a family. God had a different idea. Linda came down with endometriosis, after we started dating, she came down with endometriosis, had uh, one ovary removed, part of the second one removed, and the doctor said, kids now or never. And, you know, this was the first uh, huge crisis in my life, so we decided to get married. So at 20 years old, we get married, we have our first child at 21. I'm now working full-time, going to school full-time, starting a family as well. How do you make it all fit? And that's the core of the idea of the juggling act. How do you make it all fit? And, you know, against that, and, you know, here's the book, right? Uh, you know, I'm sure, uh, uh, you know, Carl, uh, Casey and Carl and the team will give you free copies if you ask them to, right? I'll help fund it as well, but you can go on Amazon. And, you know, just sort of the story of how do you make it fit uh, as well. And just three quick thoughts in that respect. How do you have a life of purpose, influence, balance. First one is, well, I'll just say mission statement. The most important thing that you have is your time. And you make a plan for almost everything else that you do. You know, if you're going to college, you build a, you know, a course plan, a syllabus. If you're remodeling your house, hey, you know, you, you build a plan. If you're going on vacation, you do an itinerary. Do you have a plan for the rest of your life? Have you decided what are your priorities? What are the goals that you're going to accomplish? Do you ruthlessly take time out of the things that aren't part of your goals and put it into the things that are your goals? At about 30 years old, I had finished my first book. Any of you read my first book? It's programming the 8386. <laughs> you didn't read it? You get to the last chapter and turn paging on, it's like, oh, yeah, baby, it's so good, right? right? You know, I had got my first patent, right? Uh, you know, I'm an inventor, as declared by the U.S. Patent Office. I thought, I thought it was so cool. I got to be vice president of Intel, the youngest vice president in the history of the company as well. You know, and I had sort of clicked off these things that I wanted to achieve in life. And I came to this point that, what do I want to do? And over the course of a year or so, spent a lot of time just, you know, praying, agonizing, talking to others about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And out of that came my mission statement. And I challenge each one of you, do you have a mission statement for the rest of your life? 
What do you want to do with the most precious resource God has given you, your time? And if you haven't made a plan for it, how do you know when you have these pressures of family and work and your own objectives, which and how you're going to fit them in? So first one is mission statement. Build a plan for the rest of your life. Second is priorities. Now, what are the Silicon Valley priorities, the Washington, D.C. priorities, work, 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 family, maybe God. What are the God-given priorities? God, family, work. Work, family, God. God, family, work. Which is it going to be? And how do you live a life of purpose and intent where you every morning put God on the throne of your life, prioritize your family, and then work like crazy and have a successful career. How do you build that kind of life? Right? And just a few quick thoughts in this respect. One is, right, you, know, uh, uh, you know, my wife and I would debate about my time. Can you imagine that? I'm a tight bay, you know, I'm working hard, so like this. You haven't been home much lately. Well, yes, I have. You know, no, you haven't. Yes, you have. No, you haven't. Right? So what we decided to do was keep score. So my secretary produced the at-home chart. <laughs> you know, it was one point if I was home by 6.15, two points if I was home by 5 o'clock, uh, zero points if I was home after 6.15, right? Negative points if I was gone on weekends. That was the numerator. The denominator was the number of work days, right? My secretary, an independent arbiter, produced the graph every, every month, sent it to us independently. So now, Linda and I would sit down and he'd say, you haven't been home much lately. We have the data. Hmm, you're right, right? <laughs> Or, no, you're wrong. And then she'd say something really important. She says, I haven't felt like you've been home. <laughs> oh, that's totally different, right? You know, we're talking about something else. What is it? Right? <laughs> but building a life that mimics your priorities. You know, hey, you know, I, I like to work. I like to be successful. So do you. And, you know, at 6 o'clock, I'd be sitting at the end of our street some nights on the phone call, right? And I'd say, okay, you know, four more minutes, boys. I'm getting home on time because I'm getting a point, right? <laughs> you know, dating your wife. You know, I, I met, meet with people, and when was the last time you took your spouse on a date? Mm, you know, they can't remember it. You know, twice a month, date your spouse. Date your kids, we did family, uh, you know, I did breakfast with the kids once a week. Four kids, once a week we do breakfast with each one of them. And, you know, so every month, you know, doing one of them. To this day, I still do breakfast with my kids, right? Uh, on Friday, I have breakfast with one of my sons. We're still doing this today. You know, build those things into your life that you're living by your priorities. And the third is mentors. Now, I was uh, working on the 8386, you know, so I'm a you know, young engineer, and I'm in charge of taping out the 386, assembling the design of the uh, 386. So we're working in like this on crazy. And I had a report to the executive team of Intel at the time. So here we are. We have Andy Grove, right? You know, one of the most seminal figures of Silicon Valley. We have Gordon Moore, Moore's Law. We have Bob Noyce, you know, the Nobel Prize winning inventor of the integrating, you know, this is the front row. And I, dweeb engineer, am speaking to them about the 386 update. And I chewed them out because the computers weren't stable. 
What a pernicious little brat I was, you know, speaking to the gods of the industry, you know, like I was. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's just very, you know, I'll say passionate and aggressive and getting my chip done. And uh, a couple of days later, my phone rings. Didn't want to be interrupted, you know, pick it up. Who is it? Andy. Andy who? Andy Grove. So, you know, when I'm just like, and he says, what do you read? Uh, you know, what are you studying? You know, what's your career objectives? You know, those are lousy answers. You're right, I can barely talk, you know, just, right? And he says, be in my office in a week with better ones. The president of the company says, be in his office in a week. What do you do? You either show up or leave the country, right? You know, it's... So I showed up, and that began a mentoring relationship that literally lasted for 35 years. And Andy passed away in April of last uh, year. And if you're going to have a mentor in the semiconductor Silicon Valley, Andy's not a bad choice. But mentoring with Andy was like going to the dentist and not getting Novocaine. <laughs> he was brutal. He was tough. But I would not be standing here today if it wouldn't have been for his influence in my life. So if you want to lead a life of purpose, balance, intentionality, you will have mentors. People who aren't impressed by you, but ready to invest in you and make you better. So mission statement, priorities, mentors, some help along the way. Tools for a balanced life. Now, as you're leading this life of balance, everything's going to go great, right? Right, Monday morning, you show up for work and they say, you have a new air and complexion to you. Welcome. We're so grateful that you showed up for work today and we hope that you can take time for your prayer break over lunch. And, you know, I'm sure that everything here is going to be conducive to your spiritual maturity. Isn't that how you show up to work on Mondays? Right, and about 8.02, reality sets in, and you're back to being out of control, right? You know, I mean, you know, and maybe next week you're going to do better, you make it to 8.03, right? Last year was the toughest year of my personal and professional career. You know, we had the Dell EMC merger, largest high-tech merger in history. Uh, we had uh, two of our kids get married, a uh, new grandbaby. I had a son who went through uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma chemo treatments. I broke my foot, so I'm an uh, a, uh, invalid most of the uh, year uh, as we go forward. A brutal year. And, you know, as you go through a merger like this, you know, I mean, stock drops. I mean, this is like the fourth quarter, five minutes to go. You have no timeouts left, and, the oppo and you're down by three touchdowns, and the opposing team has the football. Right, you know, you know, your stock price is now halved. As a CEO, this is the score, right, at the end of the uh, season. Right, you're in trouble. I mean, it's a terrible, brutal year uh, as you go forward. Any of you can resonate with this? Right, and, you know, these are our four kids in the picture at the bottom. You know, all of them are married now. You know, four, uh, uh, four uh, spouses and uh, three grandbabies now. Grandbabies are great. Skip kids, go straight to grandkids is my advice uh, for you. All of these things go on, and at the end of it, God will be faithful. And he will see you through those tough times. And those tough times are the times when you really grow. Are the times where he can really mature you. The times that he can knock those rough edges off of you. And the opportunity to 
be embraced in his loving arms. You know, we look at the tough times and we want to run from them. And God says, That's, I, I, I almost have you to the point that I can actually start to grow you, mature you, and bring you to that next level again. The toughest year of our life and maybe the most growing year of our life. And maybe some of you are in that position today where you're in the pressure cooker. He will be faithful. And we're now setting all-time high stock prices. Hallelujah. This is a good year, baby, right, for us in comparison. So everybody, you know, sort of saying, oh, a year of good following a year of fallow, right? He will honor, he will reward, and he will be faithful as you go through these tough times. And, you know, as you think about uh, these uh, tough times, right, you know, what is your role as a leader? Now, how many of you are full-time ministers? Okay, a few of you. Okay, good. Soon after, in February of 1980, I come to Christ. A couple of months later, I hear this call from God to go into full-time ministry. And I'm like, God, what are you talking about? I'm loving this chip stuff. Microprocessors, design, I'm doing so good. No. And God is calling me, go into full-time ministry. And I'm arguing with God for months. And finally, I said, okay, God, I give up. I give up, right? And I put a fleece before God like Gideon. I said, if this happens, I will go into full-time ministry, right? You know, I'll leave this, you know, the intel, I'll leave technology, and I'll go into full-time ministry. And as soon as I gave up, as soon as I submitted myself to God, his answer was, the workplace is your full-time ministry, how many of you are full-time ministers? If you are called by the name Jesus Christ as a Christian, you are called to full-time ministry, ministry in the workplace, in the home place, in the marketplace. Every place you are, you are called to be a full-time ambassador for Jesus Christ. The workplace, for most of us, is the ministry that we are given. Right? You know, I'm given this huge opportunity in Silicon Valley. You know, you know, I get to meet with people you only read about. They're part of my mission field. Who are the people that only you get to meet with that are part of your mission field? You are called to be a full-time minister for the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of that event, my life first became Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Jesus Christ is my CEO, and it's really cool that VMware gives me a big paycheck. But I'm never confused who's on the throne as I show up every day when I show to work. And that's the posture we as Christians are challenged to take in the workplace. So I clearly have too much I want to say this morning, so we're going to skip over the next thing. This is uh, my uh, philosophy of leadership. I have one more thing I want to talk about. So uh, my four L's, and I'm only going to do, or uh, the five L's of leadership, and I'm only going to do one of these really quick. Sorry. I had too much good stuff to say, Ken. Forgive me. So, um, you know, as leaders... Everything you do is on display every day. Every action, every word, right, will be analyzed and questioned. As we're going through this absolutely miserable year, right, you know, stock has dropped in half. Half of my executive team has left the uh, company. I committed every day that I would lift my organization. 
right? And uh, uh, one of the pastors that I really appreciate out there in the Bay, uh, Ray, he said one time, he says, I must be encouraged so I can be an encouragement. So I'd walk in the building, you know, smiling, singing, whistling, and so on. And, you know, people are looking and say, wow, I think things are pretty crappy around here. But Pat knows more than I do, and he's pretty happy. I don't get it, but uh, maybe I should be happier too. That is what you get to do as a leader. You get to lift your organization as you're going through. Carl mentioned uh, just briefly the idea of TBC. When Linda and I, we met in the Bay Area, we lived there for 10 years, we had all four of our children there, and we moved then to Oregon. We were going to get out of that crazy place called the Bay Area to raise our family. So 10 years in the Bay, we moved to Oregon for 25 years, and when we left the Bay Area, Linda said, I'm never coming back. Just a little piece of advice for you, never say never to God. Just, you know, a little, right, never say never to God. So, right, then we moved to Boston. My parents so excited, the black sheep coming home. And then we get called to be the CEO of VMware and move back to the Bay Area. And as we're moving back to the Bay Area, you know, we felt this deep call that God was the, wasn't calling us to just be CEO of, you know, one of the world's top software companies, but to a greater purpose as well. And out of that came what we call TBC, Transforming the Bay with Christ. And the idea that we're going to bring together the business and Christian leaders to change the Bay. Four little factoids about my patch, the Bay Area. You know, the Bay Area is the most, the highest wages on planet Earth are the Bay Area today. So rich. Arguably, you know, and here in D.C., some might argue about this, but we'll say the Bay Area is the most influential area on earth today. The technologies we do are changing the world. It's also one of the least churched areas of the nation. And amazingly, it's one of the least philanthropic areas in the nation. Don't you find that amazing? The highest wages, one of the lowest philanthropic rates in the nation. So I call it my mission field, rich, influential, miserly pagans. <laughs> Woohoo! Right? That's who I am called to minister to. And out of that, TBC has formed Transforming the Bay with Christ. We have a small staff. Uh, uh, Nancy Orkberg, John Orkberg's wife, is the CEO uh, for the uh, group. We are out to do three things for the Bay Area. You know, one is unify the Christian leadership. You know, this idea of John chapter 11, that you would be one. You know, we had our first meeting of the TBC. We had John Orkberg, Francis Chan, Chip Ingram, three nationally known, you know, Christian leaders. They had never met each other before and all living in the Bay Area. Can you believe that? You know, that we would be one. That we would change the face of how the church is looked at will amplify works of service, Matthew 5, that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And finally, that will multiply the church. Our objective is to plant a thousand new churches in the Bay Area over a decade, that we will expand the presence of the church going from one of the least churched areas to one of the most innovative places to do church in the nation and in the world. And out of that, you know, we're excited about what TBC is doing. And the reason I talk about it, though, is hey, while you guys may not be as influential here in the, uh, in the D.C. area as we are in the Bay Area, you're pretty influential. <laughs> and what are you doing to unify 
amplify and multiply the D.C. area for the Lord Jesus Christ, to make this area and your leadership and your participation in this area make a difference for eternity, that you might bring together the Christian leadership of the D.C. area in the same way. So in summary, you know, I, I would just encourage each of one of you, as you are leading your juggling act, right, that you might build a plan, right, that you might live by your priorities and maybe some help along the way. You know, that you too will see that your full-time ministry, that you are a full-time ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will see that your workplace every day and your work is a place that you are honoring and worshiping God every day, and that this community, an amazing thousand people here, that you would come together and that you would transform DC for eternity. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this edition of Faith at Work. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm Carl Grant. Please follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Faith at Work Radio. And for more information on the High Tech Prayer Breakfast, please visit www.hightechprayerbreakfast.org. You've been listening to Faith at Work with Carl Grant. 